0: Well, good morning. morning. It is so good to see all of you this morning. Good to be with you. Good to have all of you joining us live stream this morning from around the country and even around the world. Joining us this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let me just give a quick plug for Wednesday night. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, right here in the auditorium, is our midweek service of worship and time in the Word, and we're going through the book of Revelation. And uh, all of the messages are designed to be part of a series, but also can stand alone. So, even if you haven't joined us up to this point, we would love to have you this Wednesday. And even though it might be 118 degrees outside, Wednesday night, it will be nice and comfortable and cool in here, okay? So We are in the midst of a series through the book of 2 Corinthians. I've entitled the entire series, Made to Minister. It is sort of part of a three-part series that God laid upon my heart to do this coming year, this year, 2021. We started out the year in 2 Peter, looking at made to mature, that we are are saved to grow as Christians. We are saved to grow up in Christ and become more like Christ, and that's what 2 Peter is all about, spiritual growth. Then God said, after that, I want you to take the church through 2 Corinthians, made to minister, learning what it means to serve the Lord, because not only are we saved to grow, we are saved to serve. We are not only to serve God here on this earth, but one day we will serve him for all of eternity. So, we need to learn what's it look like to be a servant? How do we serve? What's God think of when he thinks of service and all of that? We're discovering that as we go through the book of 2 Corinthians because 2 Corinthians is basically Paul's testimony of his own ministry on earth how he served the Lord and the lessons he learned, so we can gain a lot from that. And then this fall, we're going to be in 2 Timothy, made to multiply. God not only saved us to grow, saved us to serve, but saved us to impact and influence other people's lives. Just as Paul had a Timothy, all of us are to have some people in our lives that we are influencing and impacting for the kingdom of God. So that's what we're in the midst of, and we're sort of in the middle of that right now in 2 Corinthians, learning what it means to be a servant of the Lord. And when we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 8— 2 Corinthians 8 really cannot be separated from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. They sort of go together. So today's message will primarily be in chapter 8, but we'll bleed over a little bit into chapter 9 this morning. And then next week, when we're in 2 Corinthians 9, we'll bleed back a little bit into chapter 8 because both chapters are all about the grace of God. Let's talk for a couple of moments about some important Things that we need to before we actually dive into the chapter. First of all, let's set up what was precipitating these couple of chapters. The Jewish Christians, especially in Jerusalem, were in great need of some financial help. After these Jews came to faith in Christ, many of them were ostracized by their families. If they owned businesses, their businesses were boycotted. So they were paying a very steep price for their faith in Jesus Christ. They were suffering. So Paul decided, let's get some local churches together. Let's take up a love offering for these dear brothers and sisters in Christ, our Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, And let's gather this all up and let's send them an offering so that we can bless them and let them know that though this may not completely cover all of their physical and material needs, that it will also be an encouragement to them to know that they're not in this alone, that they have brothers and sisters in Christ in this with them, and that we're all in this together. Okay? So that's what Paul is attempting to do here in this. Now, let's talk for a moment about grace, because as Christians especially, we throw a lot of terms around that we see in the Bible a lot, and we need to make sure that we understand what they really mean. Grace is not only defined as God's undeserved favor and blessing. It's always that. It's a gift. None of us can earn it or merit it or—in fact, Stephen talked about that in his prayer, all right? That's part of what grace is but grace is also God's supernatural enablement and empowerment in our lives. In 1 Corinthians 15:10, Paul said, "By the grace of God I am what I am." Paul attributed his whole life and ministry to the grace of God. Yes, it was God's favor Undeserved, but it was also his every moment enablement and empowerment in Paul's life. So, as we think about those sort of things, look at chapter 8, verse 1. Paul says, Now we make known to you in Corinth, brothers and sisters, the grace of God given to the churches of Macedonia. So, don't miss what Paul is saying. God's grace is not only something that he gives to us individually. Each of us as Christians can receive the grace of God, okay? That supernatural enablement and empowerment to be who God wants us to be and to do what God wants us to do, obviously serving him in some capacity. And remember, throughout this series, we have said, serving God is not just what we do, it's who we are. Because we're not just to define our service by certain acts and ministries and things that we're involved in. We are a 24-7 servant of God. From the moment we wake up, to the, moment, to the moment we go to sleep at night, we are to make ourselves available to God to be and do whatever God is asking of us at the moment. Sometimes we know it ahead of time. Sometimes we don't, which is why we always need to be prepared. But here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, notice that Paul says God's grace is not just something that God dispenses to us as individuals, it's also something that he dispenses to a community of believers, to churches, because he says, I want you in Corinth to know about the grace of God that he bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. And he wants them to know this in order that they will be encouraged and strengthened and even inspired by what he's about to tell them. So let's make this real practical. God not only is wanting to dispense his grace to us individually, he wants to dispense his grace to us as the Oasis Church in order that we as a group of Christians can accomplish the plan and purpose and will of God for us as a community of believers, you see. And without his grace... You and I will never fully reach our potential as a local church, just as we will never fully reach our potential individually if we do not receive God's grace. We can only go so far without God's grace. And though this isn't primarily part of the message, I will drop this in at this point. We can reject the grace of God. God will always offer it, but we can push it away and reject it and live and serve without it. So, Paul begins, though, by saying, this is what I want you to know. God not only gives his grace to us individually, he gives us grace as a community of believers. Now, what I want to spend the rest of our time on then this morning is looking at the evidences of God's grace in a local church, because that's really what Paul is pointing out here sometimes very boldly, sometimes sort of subtly. But, but Paul is pointing out in these chapters the evidences of God's grace. Can some of these be applied, if not all of them, to us individually? Absolutely. But in this context, Paul is saying, I want you to see that when a church, when a local church, when a community of Christians is receiving God's grace— living in God's grace, living by God's grace, here are the things that's going to be evident in that body. So keep reading along with me. In fact, I'll start back up at verse 1 to sort of get the flow. Now, we make known to you, brothers and sisters, the grace of God given to the churches of Macedonia, that during a severe ordeal of suffering, their abundant joy... And their extreme poverty have overflowed to the wealth of their generosity. First, what is the first evidence of God's grace? Abundant joy. There will be joy in the house of the Lord, as we've sung, uh, you know, for a few weeks. That's one of the evidences of grace. A group of people filled with abundant joy, joy that, notice, is not tied to our circumstances or our life situation. A joy that rises above our circumstances because Paul said, even though these churches were going through a severe ordeal of suffering, they were coming together as a group of believers with abundant joy. Why? How do we define joy as a Christian? See, happiness is tied to our circumstances. Joy is something that's beyond our circumstances. Why? Because joy is having the acknowledgement and the awareness that I am grateful no matter what I, situation I'm in in life or what I'm going through, I am grateful for grace. I'm grateful for God's grace. And that no matter then what I go through, I know as a Christian that God will give me the supernatural enablement and empowerment to do and to navigate whatever I'm being asked to do or navigate at that moment. Take Paul, for example. Later on in this book, he has a thorn in the flesh. He prays for God to take it away. God says, no, but my grace is what? Sufficient. And therefore, you and I can be joyful that no matter what comes into our life, we know that we know a God who will give us the grace to navigate that situation or that circumstance and that we can be grateful that we don't have to go through that situation alone and without any supernatural help, that God will give us his grace to be able to go through that and to actually grow through that and come out the other side even better than we did when we went in. That's joy, you see. That's joy. In fact, even in the original language, joy and grace are very close together. The Greek word for joy is kara, C-H-A-R-A. The Greek word for grace is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. Very close. You cannot separate joy from grace. Joy is always knowing as a Christian I have God's grace available to me, and I can be joyful and grateful and appreciative and thankful that God gives me grace. That's why I can be joyful. Abundant joy, the first evidence that God's grace is moving and working in a body of believers. The second, I want to point this out a little out of order. I want you to go down to the last word of verse 2, generosity, generosity. Where God's grace has a hold of a group of people, that group of people will be a generous group of people. And, and I love this word generosity here. It literally means to be open-hearted, or we would even say big-hearted or large-hearted, if you will. You know, when we talk about people having a a big heart or a great heart, because that's really where generosity is sourced from. See, when we think of being generous, we think of giving and sharing and all of that in a sense, open-handedness. And we even sing that great song, Open Hands. Certainly biblical. But the open-handedness actually starts with being open-hearted, It is is being able to have compassion uh, on the needs of others and, and knowing that there are needs, that our heart goes out first before our hand goes out, you see. The heart moves the hand, if you will. And that's why God wants us, when we are generous and we are sharing and we are giving, that we do so from the heart. Because in chapter 9, he says, I don't want you to ever give grudgingly. I don't want you to ever give based on intimidation or, or be feeling pressured to give or feeling like you have to give. God loves a what? A cheerful giver, a joyful giver, one who wants to give be, or who gives because you want to, not because you feel you have to or you need to or you're being compelled to do it by some outside force. That's generosity. And I want to say, compliment you all. I love being a pastor of a church that has abundant joy evident in this place. I love that I can pastor a group of people that are so generous. I mean, I could recite in the last 11 years of the history of our church that when needs are made known, you guys step up, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but you go above and beyond. Above and beyond. So, first, joy. Second, Generosity. Then come down with me, beginning in verse 3. For I testify they gave according to their means and beyond their means. They did so voluntarily, willingly, begging us with great earnestness for the blessing and fellowship of helping the saints. The third evidence of grace, fellowship. And what does fellowship really mean? It doesn't mean just sitting down at a table together and eating together like we as Christians sometimes think. I grew up in churches where we used uh, the, the term sort of fellowship meal, and every time we had a dinner or something, it was always around the word fellowship. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but fellowship biblically means so much more than that. It literally means to participate together to have this joint participation, this sort of give and and take with each other, allowing God to knit our hearts together. That's way more than than sitting down and just eating together. I see it all the time in our modern age. You can have families or couples or other people who go out to eat together, and they barely say two words to each other because they're on their phone or something else. Or they're preoccupied or whatever and there's no real fellowship there no God says fellowship is participation so that notice they were begging even though they were going through a terrible time of suffering themselves they were begging Paul Paul don't leave us out we want to be part of this. We want to bless our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Don't let uh, this opportunity pass by. We want, to be, we want to share in this. We want to participate in this. Because when grace hits a church, people start to get the wiggles. And I don't mean the wiggles like little kids get whenever they get. I mean the wiggles like you can't sit still. You want to be part of what God's doing. You see, grace doesn't equal being a spectator, and in many churches today, there's a lot of spectators watching a few people do things and not a lot of participation. Where God's grace is evident in a local church, there will be way more people participating in what's going on than just sitting back and spectating. Because again, God's grace will create a wiggle in you that you cannot just sit back and sit still and not get involved in something. That's what God's grace does. And then, notice also in verse 4, God's grace will also be evident in the fact that we will want to help the saints, the end of verse 4. And by the way, that word helping, another way you could translate that word is to serve or to minister. He's talking here about serving. Helping the saints. We're always looking out for one another. Yes, we look out for all, but we look out for one another. Let me remind you of two verses in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap if you do not faint. So therefore, as we have opportunity as Christians, let's do good to all, but especially to those of the household of faith. Especially. other Christians, you see. It's great that we can help the world. It's great that we can help people in our community. But Paul says it starts at the house of God. That's where service should start making sure you look out and care for one another. What does Jesus say? He said, by that kind of love, the love that I had for you, by you demonstrating that kind of love for one another, that's how all men will know that you are my disciples, John 13, 34, and 35. Helping the saints. So, some evidences of grace, joy, generosity, fellowship, helping the saints— Let's keep on going. Verse 5. And they did this, not just as we had hoped, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Now, the word give here in the middle of verse 5 literally means to give up. So that's surrender. They gave themselves up to the Lord first and then to us by the will of God. What's the fifth evidence of grace in a church It is being surrendered to the will of God, surrendered to the will and purposes of God. When God's grace comes into our church, comes into our life, we live by not my will, but yours be done. So the example even of Jesus, there in the garden, in all of his humanity, not wanting to have that moment in time where the perfect fellowship that he had with his father from eternity past would finally be broken when he took upon himself the sin of the world and his father would turn his back upon him and and he would forsake him for that moment in time that, that he became a curse for us. Jesus said, if there's any other way, but if not, your will, not mine. And he set the example for us, that when God's grace is working in our church, we will be a group of people that says, God, I'm not coming to this church with my own agenda. We're not here to push our own selfish agendas and what we want, God, and what we want the church to be and what we want the church to look like and what plan or purpose we have for the church. We're coming to be a part of what you have for us, God, because whatever you have is best." And we surrender to it, God. See, when it comes right down to it, even as Christians, isn't this maybe the hardest one, the will? It's like the will. It's like sometimes as Christians, like, I know that's what God wants, but I don't want that, God. You're asking me to do that or you're asking me to go through this, but God, I don't want to. We're all there at times, right? And God says, I'm gonna give you my grace. That even when you don't want to, you don't feel like it, whatever, that you will simply, by my grace, that supernatural enablement and empowerment say, but God, at the end of the day, not my will, yours be done. And Jesus, even being an example for us in his humanity, shows us, look, God understands none of us would choose pain. I mean, even Jesus was like, this is going to be painful. And I'm not talking about just physically. I'm talking about spiritually painful. So it's not like God doesn't understand that we wouldn't choose some of these things first. But that's why God says, I'll give you my grace so that you can walk through this valley even the darkest valley, and know that I'm with you and I will give you the grace to deal with it. And you can say, if this is your will, God, for me, if this is your will for us, God, we'll do it because we are surrendered to your will by the grace of God. Verse 6, then we urge Titus, that just as he had previously begun this work, so also he should complete this act of kindness. Literally in the original, the act of kindness could also be uh, translated proof of grace, which, by the way, he uses this phrase again in verse 7 at the end, in this act of kindness or proof of God's grace. Now, I want you to go down to verse 9 for just a minute so that we see the next evidence of God's grace. Again, Paul using Jesus as the example. You know the grace or graciousness, if you will, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was rich, he became poor for your sake, so that you, by his poverty, could become rich. We're going to talk about how rich we are next week. But notice here what Paul is saying about grace. He's saying, when grace is operating in a church, just like it operates in our individual life, there will be selfless sacrifice. That's the next evidence of grace, selfless sacrifice. Who was a greater example ever of selfless sacrifice than Jesus, who was the Lord of glory, <laughs> created the universe, Everything was created by him and for him. He's before all things, above all things, Colossians chapter 1. He's the king of kings, right? And he leaves that in the incarnation and takes upon himself human flesh and comes to earth, allows all earthly things to affect him just as they affect us. He got tired. He got Hungry, He got thirsty. He allowed everything, and he allowed allowed himself to be misunderstood and, and abused and rejected and scorned and mocked and physically abused and obviously, you know, crucified and all of that, even though he could have stayed in heaven and just said, too bad for you. And we would have went out into a... Eternity lost forever. He left all that, went through all this out of his great love for us. Totally selfless, totally sacrificial. From the very beginning to, I mean, even the fact that the Lord of glory would come to earth as a baby. How vulnerable. It just blows my mind when I think about it. Talk about trust. Wow. And yet, he wasn't thinking of himself, right? As Paul said. He was thinking about us the whole time. So that's why Paul says that's grace. That's when you know we as a church are living by grace and and living in grace is when we're all just wanting to just selflessly sacrifice for the Lord and for one another and and for those that are lost and all of that. And and no sacrifice is too great because it's not about us. We lay down our life for others. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus is the greatest example of that. Well, as you go down through here, I want you now to go down to verse 14. Paul says, "I I want you at Corinth to know this. At the present time, your abundance will meet the need of the saints in Jerusalem. But there's coming a day where maybe their abundance will meet a need that you have. In other words, what he's basically saying is now it's your turn. Maybe later on it will be their turn. So what's this have to do with evidences of grace? Simply this. When we are living in God's grace as a church, we'll be a giving church. We'll give of our time, our talent, our treasure. We'll be a giving person. But, and here's where the rub is for many Christians. When you're living in grace and by grace, you'll also be one that is willing to receive help from others. See, we like to be in the position always as Christians, right, where we're helping others, but we don't like it when we're in the one that's in need and we need help. Many times we're too proud to ask for help or to allow others to help us. And Paul's basically saying in verse 14, And and in verse 15, look, folks, God doesn't set it up that way. God sets it up so that there will be times where you have to be willing to give, but you also will have to have times in your life where you're willing to receive both. It can't always be one or the other. And we as Christians have to learn to receive help from others, just as much as we like giving help to others, because both of those are evidences that we're living in grace. Being a gracious person not only means that I'm willing to give to others, it also means I'm willing to receive from others. And I know even over the years, I've had to learn to do that. I've had to simply say thank you, even though I You know, sometimes I'm very blown away and humbled by, say, what others have done for me or our family at times. I just simply have to say thank you and have to just chalk it up to God is going to bless them for them being a blessing to us. And we all have to get there, you know, in our lives that way. But there's another one. Actually, two more, but I want to end sort of with this one because this is the one that Paul just keeps hammering on throughout these passages. So I want you to go back up now to verse 2, and I want you to see how often Paul uses this word. Now, it's translated in the net version, just as it would probably be translated in the NIV or New American Standard, differences throughout the passages, but the same Greek word is used throughout. Begin in verse 2 that during a severe ordeal of suffering, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed to the wealth of their generosity. I want you to overflow, surpass, to excel, to go above and beyond. Paul is saying, here's the deal. Here's how you know God's grace is operating in a church, in our lives, is when even in our giving, And remember, this church was a poor church, right? Reminds you of the widow in the Gospels that Jesus said, I'm watching people throw their offerings into the box, and this poor widow who had just one little mite left, she threw it in. Amazing, right? Yeah. In other words, she went above and beyond. And Paul's now using that same concept here with the churches in Macedonia. They were able to go above and beyond what would have ever been expected of them because of their condition. How were they able to do that? How were they able to go above and beyond the grace of God? And by the way, the grace of God, as we're going to see next week, not only helps us to go above and beyond what maybe we would ever think we could do or expect to do. But then God takes those little five loaves and two fishes that we give him and multiplies it. That's why God encourages every Christian to give, no matter whether we can give a lot or give a little, because God can use it all, and God can increase it all, and God can multiply it all, you see, above and beyond. So then notice what he says in verse 3. I testify they gave according to their means, and then don't miss this phrase, and beyond their means or beyond their ability. Because when you and I as a church are living in God's grace, God will enable us to do things that we could never do without him and never do on our own. And that's how God wants us to live. See, God doesn't want to create churches and, and build churches just to see what churches can do on their own, in their own human ability, and their own human strength, and their own human wit and wisdom, just as much as he doesn't want us to live our lives just based on that level, because there will be a limit to what you and I can do. God wants us to be a church that lives by his grace so that he does so many fantastic things. And I love what Tony said at the beginning here about all the miracles and the and the healings and the things that God has has done, and we need to recognize him and and honor him for that, because what is God saying to us? You keep trusting in me to take you beyond what you could ever imagine, and, and you will see me show up and do things that you could never see any other way than just by my grace, above and beyond, beyond ourselves. See, if we're living at just what we can do to serve the Lord, we're missing a whole other biggest part of it, God wants us to serve in such a way that we see him operate and do and move things way beyond our own ability, way beyond. So notice in verse 7, Paul uses this same word. He says, but as you excel, go above and beyond in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all eagerness and in the love from us that is in you. Make sure that you excel, go above and beyond in this act of kindness or proof of grace too. Four times. In that very short passage, Paul used the same word, surpass, excel, exceed, above and beyond. Call it whatever you want. It's the idea that God can take us beyond ourselves. So then go with me to chapter 9 for just a moment this morning in verse 8. And God is able, and we're going to look at this verse more closely next week. God is able to make all grace overflow, be more than enough, go beyond and above, surpass, excel to you, so that because you have enough of everything in every way at all times, you will have more than enough, go above and beyond, overflow, surpass, exceed in every good work. That's how it works. That's how God wants it to work in a church. That's how God wants it to work in our lives that we live by the grace of God and live in the grace of God to where it's like. So, for instance, in this example, and it even fits in this passage, I've heard people say for years, and even my wife and I, we've commented at times, like, financially, we shouldn't be able to do what we're doing. But somehow God multiplies it. It's that God math thing that doesn't add up, and yet you're like, you're scratching your head going, where did that come from and this and that? Is it, that, that's where God says, just live in my grace and I will take you beyond what you could ever imagine. And so many churches are missing this because they're so focused on just the human skills and abilities and talents and whatever. And they're not living in grace And they're so legalistic and they're so into rules and regulations and not a relationship with God that they're not living in grace and don't don't release the grace of God in their atmosphere and in their auditoriums and in their midst to see that, that God wants to do so much more than what they're accomplishing on their own so that he alone can get the credit and glory for it. Finally, then, in verse 12 of chapter 9, because the service of this ministry is not only providing for the needs of the saints, but again, one last time Paul uses this word, but is also overflowing with many thanks or acts of worship to God. Overflowing, overflowing, more than enough, going above and beyond, surpassing, exceeding. That's one of the evidences of God's grace. When we as a church go, we could never do that. Only God could do that. And God keeps doing things that only he could do. And we keep being amazed and in awe and in wonder of our God because he keeps doing it as we keep living in grace. And God wants us to live individually that way. He wants us to live corporately that way. And finally then this morning, one other evidence of grace. And I just said it there at the end of verse 12. Worship. As God's grace is evident in a church, there will be many thanks to God that we as a group of people will stop and pause and go, wow, God, your grace. So no wonder there have been so many great songs written throughout history about the grace of God. Wonderful grace of Jesus, amazing grace. I mean, you could go on and on about all these songs about grace, and we're going to end with one this morning as well. But here's where it all comes together. Why is Paul sharing this with the Corinthians? So that they'll be willing to do what the Macedonian churches did. Step up and serve and participate and fellowship and all of that. He wants to use them as an example to stir these Christians in Corinth to a higher level of service. And that's what God wants to do with us today. He wants to say to all of us, are you really serving me and serving me by grace so that you can see me take you, your church, and you way beyond what you could ever do on your own? That's what God wants. And listen, folks, as we come into summer and and we come into fall where we're going to start two services to accommodate the growth, we need more people to step up. So many of our ministries from guest service. And by the way, we're going to have a a brand new ministry team for the fall, a, a parking lot team to manage all the cars coming in and going out. Jeff Stevens has agreed to lead that team. If you'd like to be part of that team, see Jeff, we need to start building that team hospitality with Amanda, and I mean, on and on, guest services, like I said, we need people who are willing to have a smiling face and a kind uh, heart to be able to greet all these new people who come in and show them where to go and where to navigate and all of that. I even had a gal a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday night who came for the first time on Wednesday night, and I could tell she was new, so I introduced myself and whatever, and I could tell she was looking for a bathroom. Even if, like, oh, the bathrooms, are right there. And I know, too, because I never talk about it. Like, I have people come up and say, uh, we have an offering. You guys don't take up. A, what do I do with it? That? Oh, that's that box back there. All kinds of things we can do. What's God want you to do? What part does God want you to play? And, folks, when you and I allow the grace of God to truly hit us, we'll get the wiggles. And we won't be able to just sit and spectate any longer. We'll say, God, what do you have for me? I need to get up. I need to do something. I need to serve you, God, because you're such an amazing and wonderful God. I got to use my life in some way to bring honor and glory to you. Would you pray with me? God, I just ask today that, God, we would sense your grace in this auditorium this morning, that those who are watching by live stream from their homes, Lord, would sense your grace right there with them, God, because your grace is always available to your people, always. If we would simply just humble ourselves, you said, I'll pour out my grace. If we would just recognize our need and know, God, that we need to depend and rely upon you, God, you will pour out your grace. You reject the proud those who want to do it on their own. But those who recognize we need you, God, your grace is always available. And so, God, I pray today that as your grace is very evident in this place today, that, God, all of us would be affected by it and that we wouldn't just sit and spectate, God, but we would find, Lord, what is it that you want me to do with my life? What is it you want me to do in my church What do you want me to do in my community and and in my family? And God, what is it, God? Because time is running out, and we need to serve you, Lord. Thank you, God, for your grace. So amazing, so wonderful, so magnificent, so relevant, so practical. There is nothing, Lord, that you and I will ever go through on this earth that your grace is not sufficient for. So, God, we praise you today for your grace, and we offer ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing this song this morning? I just pray you would offer yourself to the Lord. You'd be like Paul in Romans 12. I'm a living sacrifice, God. I am yours. Whatever you have for me, Lord, not my will, yours be done.